welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from ZK Live with Zach Kenny. In this episode, Zach talks with Matt Kuyper from Harpeth Painting about the background of his business and what their everyday operation looks like. Um, for people who don't know you, Matt, you own Harpeth Painting with your wife? Yep. Correct? Yep. So we're in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, I just saw Jason's on there. My boy Jason's watching. He's my Benjamin Moore rep in town. What's up, dudes? <laughs> oh, we got somebody from Australia, someone from Brazil, man. They think we're interesting. Great. Well, Joke's they'll find out that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> so what does your company look like today? So we are um, actually just re-ran the numbers because I always told people we were 80% commercial and 20% residential. Uh, it's actually bumped up to about 30% residential and 70% commercial. Um, and unscientific numbers, most of that is new construction. Um, a lot of residential repaint, but those are typically smaller jobs. Uh, the commercial jobs are bigger, kind of sways that number towards the commercial side a little bit more. So total um, number of jobs is probably a lot more balanced? Yeah, yeah. I'd say annually, we're typically about 300-ish jobs a year. So, you know, that's anything from $1,000 to a million dollars and everywhere in between. What, what, so what's your average job size or you could just tell me revenue and someone could do math? <laughs> uh, we're going to be just over five this year. Wow. Um, average job size is about 30000 but again, that's it skews. Yeah, you got to throw, throw some outliers out of there. And how do you how do you get this work done? What does the team look like? So um, we've got uh, Maggie and I kind of form the uh, the top of the leadership team. She really excels in the residential world and kind of working with designers. Uh, she has the patience for that, or I don't. Uh, on the commercial side, I have a, a PM that works with me, uh, running jobs, kind of the, the go between, between me and the field. Uh, we also have a project coordinator, um, on the residential side, uh, mostly works with Maggie, but she kind of is a, uh, jack of all trades, saves all of us a lot of time. Uh, and then we, uh, recently, since we've talked last have a, new uh sales estimator guy that's been i think it's been six weeks now um so getting him going has been really exciting uh and then the rest of it is is just really good sub crews so pretty lean and mean for what we're doing but it works works for our model yeah the, the larger job sizes can they don't need as much management yeah yeah i hear some of these guys uh, you know, the bigger repaint residential guys do it, you know, a thousand, two thousand jobs a year. 
the average job size of you know three to four thousand dollars or whatever i think what a headache <laughs> just the logistical nightmare it's, it's a totally different business it is and and they have to be so much more efficient in different ways than us mm -hmm. yeah we're I think even though we do kind of different things it's more of the the high touch you're with the customer for a long period of time uh there's less systems to be put in place for that sort of thing because it's it's unique problem solving uh you know each each thing has its merit uh, but you can't there, there's certain things you can't systemize in, in what we're doing I was, two minutes ago five minutes ago i was having that conversation with the, the new business partner that we're bringing on and he's one of those guys that's doing an average job size of you know four or five thousand and they're incredibly systematized and i'm going like man like this is a lot of relationship building it's a lot of problem solving like you were saying there's a lot of back and forth soft things that are unquantifiable yeah. and it, and also it, oftentimes are very time sensitive right you know if i i was saying like i need to have some like gaps in my schedule to accommodate these things that come up what does your schedule look like <laughs> uh it's jacked up we, we run uniquely, we run all our scheduling uh, through Google Calendar, um, which I can show you sometime, but we, we kind of color code it by crew and crew size. And it's, again, it's kind of nice for what we do because some jobs may be on there for a year and it just carries over. And then you just kind of place those smaller ones in the gaps, but it's a constant, you know, it's a living, breathing schedule. We meet, Mondays and Thursdays and just moving the puzzle pieces around visually, you know, literally moving the pieces around so that it all fits. It's just being proactive. Yeah. That's, I think that's the hardest part for me right now is getting out of that reactivity and being more proactive about schedule. Yeah. And it's, it's tough too with the stuff that, you know, you don't want to leave too much slack in there where you can be available for the last minute things, because then if those last minute things don't come up, you're sitting on your hands. Yeah. Um, but you also can't schedule 110% of your capacity either, which that's typically where we get into. And then we're like, oh, we got to move somebody around. Do you normally are you're given with a proposal like a start date, end date kind of thing? Uh, not with the proposal. Or with the uh, we'll, we'll have kind of a soft conversation about that of, hey, we're X amount of weeks out, um, depending on the size of the project. Uh, but really, that comes up after they've accepted. And then we do pretty good of getting them on the schedule in the right spot and, and staying true to it. Exterior stuff is, floats around a little bit just based on weather. So you are and you run the commercial stuff. Maggie does the residential and they're kind of separate. Yep. It's separate, but we all kind of collaborate together on it as needed. It's not like they're two separate divisions or businesses. It's um, just, we found that we have different areas of expertise, different crews, the process is a little different. So that's kind of how they, they separate. Do you have any crews that overlap? We have one crew, actually my main crew, they're just amazing at everything. They're, they make things so easy on me. 
that I can throw pretty much anything at them and they, they make it happen, whether it's, you know, go sandblast some steel and put an epoxy on it or do some stain work. You know, they, they've got the, the know-how and the, the uh, they can kind of switch their hats, so to speak. How but big most, are they? That is uh, 18. So it's uh, without those guys, it'd be a lot harder to do what we do. The, the sub crew that we're using the most right now—that's pretty much you just described them. Yeah, and and our our smaller crews specialize a little bit more. We got you know the two three man crews that they're going to be you know high end res or they're going to be commercial repaint or they're going to be commercial new. They've got more of a niche than the than my main big guy. So. Let's go back and then we'll go far. We'll, pa go, we'll go past that and get into all the weeds. But how did you get into painting? Mm, um, try to make a long story as short as possible. Never thought I would do anything in construction. Um, Post-college, I had always kind of did construction miscellaneous things growing up. Uh, but started work for a, a small commercial builder, developer, right out of college. Had a connection with him, and they were looking for somebody young and dumb like me. And uh, thankfully got to learn a lot in a really short period of time with that company. Uh, I think it was there four years. Um, and that was 2008, nine, kind of when the economy was doing crazy stuff back then. Um, so the opportunities just weren't as, weren't as good. Uh, went to work on the road for a roofing company, project managing big out-of-town jobs, uh, and had a connection with a painting contractor back here in Nashville. Um, he, he called me out of the blue one day and said, you ever interested in coming to work for a painting company? <laughs> this was kind of on the, uh, they were strictly commercial, uh, coming in as an estimator and, and learning it from the ground up there. Um, so that was my first real introduction to the painting industry. Um, learned a lot of what to do, a lot of what not to do there. Um, and eventually went back into project management for a, a commercial builder, uh, got out of the subcontracting world, spent a few years there and, and had a relationship with a bunch of my, my painters and, they kept saying, hey, when are you going to start a company? We want to come work for you. I said, guys, I, I don't have any plans to start a painting company. And then I had customers start asking, hey, I heard you were starting a painting company. We'd, we'd love to hire you. It was like the stars started aligning. And I, I always knew I was going to do my own thing at some point. Like, I just has that have that entrepreneurship bug. Um, it, it was going to happen uh, one way or the other. It's like, well, this opportunity may be here. And uh, so I started doing doing side projects and had had a lot of connections just in the Nashville and the industry and construction stuff in general. And uh, I actually did almost a million dollars in side work the first year I was in business. That's insane. Yeah. So once I once I got to that point, it's like, yeah, this works. I can do this. And that was uh, it's only been five years. So the we we spent a weekend together at least you're you're one of the most solid like individuals that i've ever met like you're just like 
you're tr- like you're instantly trustworthy. You're just like you're just you. Like you're just <laughs> like a solid dude. Like, what do you think that your those what core characteristics do you have that made people a guys you were managing as a PM wanted to come work for you at a company you hadn't even thought about starting yet, and then other people like, what do you think is what's your like superpower? What's your secret weapon? That's funny because I was talking to somebody the other day kind of about this same thing about my personality, how it's just like that, you know, even even keel. Uh, it's funny. I kind of almost think of it as a as a detriment that I'm not more charismatic. Uh, you know, I don't know what attracts me to certain people or certain things, but I think what you said is the uh, the even keel, the trustworthy, you know, they're going to come and it's going to be as smooth sailing as possible, um, you know, care about people and not put a bunch of flamboyancy to it, I think just means, means something to people. But it, it's funny that you brought that up because I was literally just talking with somebody about that not being one of my best traits. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's always something I admired. I think a lot of the GCs, like good carpenters, good general contractors, they have that, right? I'm always amazed. Like, no matter what's happening. I was just talking with the PM yesterday about it. They're just like steady eddies. And in this crazy world of construction and painting, there's a lot to be said for that, you know, and we both know I, that's not my strong suit. And, and our first, one of our first interactions was on a ski boat that I'm driving <laughs> and we just hit the sandbar, you know, we're renting this hundred thousand dollar boat and I just, bottom it out i'm freaking out and you're just like oh, we're good like everyone was just <laughs> yeah. like and i was losing it so and I, I said let's let's empty it. the ballast let's get yeah. out and push the boat and five minutes later we were good right i'm waiting for everyone to freak out because i'm losing my mind i'm like paralyzed in fear and you're just like all right let's do this i i can see how that that is a very valuable uh trait to have um, especially as you do the type of work that you're doing, which is these larger projects. Mm-hmm. Trust, you know, trust is huge in our industry, but if I'm going to hire you to do a million dollar job, trust is even bigger than a $3,000 repaint. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, uh, something that I'm always trying to get better at is, is your last job doesn't necessarily prove your future performance as, as much as what people think it does. Um, it, you need to keep that trust, not just on what you can perform in a project, but who you are as a company, who you are as a person is, is part of that too. Yeah. The reputation thing is huge, but it's just, it's hilarious because most people like, they, they start a company and they, and like, I don't know, I, I spent years and years and years trying to build a reputation and you had one before you started. People were just yeah. drawn to that because yeah. Oh, look who's there. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little inside, inside jokes there. Dude, the three Sorry, of us, man, that was a moment. <laughs> I haven't been that scared in a while. Oh. Like... I'm going to ruin this boat and Nick Slavic is never going to talk to me again. Everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. But that, that trip was a really good way to get really close to people in a short period of time. 
both in a, in a business and personal sense. Yeah. And, and to be clear for everyone, Phil Klein saved the day as well. He was in the boat with me and was like, he also is a steady Eddie guy. Yeah. He was just like, yeah, no big deal. He hopped <laughs> out of the boat and started pushing. I was like, I was still in a like freak out mode. Yeah. But yeah, that was that, that weekend was special to be able to like connect with people in that environment. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I still feel this way that I'm doing everything wrong and still, still somehow making this work. But then when I talk to everybody else, they're like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing either. <laughs> <laughs> We're just doing it one foot in front of the other. I look yeah. back what, you know, just the difference in a company we are from six months ago, let alone five years ago. I think the same is probably true for you too. It's, it's every day. I, I just, yeah, because you 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 put the blinders on and you go forward. Mm -hmm. And anytime when I do get to stop and look back, you're like, "Wow, I like this is crazy." Mm -hmm. um, you're just being intentional and trying to do your best, and good things happen when you do that. Yeah, and I think that was sort of that's been my formula is just like do the next right thing, like have a plan. And once you do that, like you can just put your like one foot in front of another and know like we're going someplace. Mm -hmm. It's easy when you, when you like, I don't know, for me having that plan. So when you went out on your own, you're doing, you did a million inside work on accident. When did a plan come into place? I was planning that whole time. Okay. Um, part of that was, uh, before I st I found the PCA uh, about six months after I started. I wasn't exposed to it before. And that's definitely one of the things when I got connected with that. It's like, oh, here's some tools. I can use this stuff. And that, that accelerated my knowledge quickly. Um, just the certain things of um, even just like, I, you know, because I didn't come from a um, – a painting background. I never really painted myself and, until I started the company. Um, learned very quickly. Uh, but the, the resources online, man, I, yeah, I can't say enough about how much that helped me get started quickly. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people on Instagram still who don't get it because they've never joined PCA. And I'm always like, guys, I get, I've been there, but when you join and you become a member of the national organization for paint contractors. It's not just a bunch of dudes hanging out. There's a lot of substance there. How did you find the PCA? I think Google. I honestly have no idea. Uh, and I was like, ah, oh, this seems like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, that through that, it kind of exposed me to all the other stuff that was out there. Um, you know, all, Nick Slavic's videos back in the day when he was doing all that YouTube stuff. It's like that dude doesn't know how much he taught me how to paint. <laughs> so pretty quickly. So you, when you went on on your own, you had a pretty good idea of, of what you were going to be doing. Yeah. We started doing just smaller res repaint stuff. Cause that's easy to get started. Kind of bootstrap work. You get paid when you leave and kind of helps you develop good cash management, but pretty quickly 
started doing commercial work because that's my area of expertise and knew that's where I wanted to go. Um, so our first first job was from with somebody that I had a, a long term relationship with prior to starting, and he again had the the trust and uh, yeah I think it was a it's like a thirty or forty thousand dollar job and it's like oh I don't know if I can do that you know it's like wow this is huge <laughs> and then that was uh that was kind of the springboard. It's it's so interesting to me that you're like, because the residential rebate, like you're saying, like yeah, you can you get the cash flow, it comes quick, but mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of there's a lot of these forums and and you meet you see these guys who are posting stuff in these forums about questions about running a business, and I don't know, I would say half of them I want to be like stop and go back to work for somebody you're not ready yet, like because like you were saying, you used your career as a springboard into this next thing. Like you used the relationships yeah. you had built at your old job to start a company. Yeah. I love that. I think that that makes a lot of sense to me versus I'm going to leave my company, use none of the relationships I've built and just go out into the world. I see that a lot and, and I get it. People do that, but I think that, people would be better off waiting, building re real relationships, not trying to do some shortcut thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely true. I, I don't think I would have been nearly as successful in such a short period of time if I would have tried to do this earlier in life, uh, even just by a couple of years. Did, did some projects and work with some people that really taught me a lot about negotiation and problem solving and, and I don't know, just way too many things I learned. And after I was 30 that I thought, I thought I knew everything by the time I was 30, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> not discouraging young people from going out there and doing it. I think, I think you can definitely do that. But. I am. I, I am completely discouraging people from starting companies <laughs> too early. I did. And it, but like, again, like you just said, you went and you were an estimator for a painting company. Mm -hmm. Somebody paid you to learn how to estimate. Yep. That, that is such a different thing than being thrown to the wolves and just figuring out estimating on your own. Yeah. Right. That might take five years to learn what you learned in three months. Mm -hmm. So while it can be done, I mean, I did it in a way I still work for guys and gained a lot of skills there, but I never, I wasn't smart enough to go work in management or even like, you know, anything above a painter. Yeah. And, and I think it definitely hurt my career. Yeah. There's the trade off though, that I didn't learn. I didn't learn the craft of painting until I was a painting contractor. Um, honestly, I had to fake it till I made it a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I experimented with some things that probably weren't, weren't right, but learned and, uh, you know, now we're, we're at a level pretty confident in what we're doing. So it, it just is, I have a lot of respect for the people that come from the trade and start a business too. Yeah. And I, I always say on it, this comes up a lot, but I, I, it would be nice if there was more professionalized companies like yours, 
to be able to hire on a PM or to be able to hire on the estimator that you hired. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, and, and I think it's good for people to know that does exist. There, there are those jobs out there, right. For people who want to go start their own business, maybe come work for Harpeth painting or come work for us or go yeah. find an established painting company in your area and maybe try to go up through the ranks a little bit instead of going yeah. from painter to business owner. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, actually the, the, my project manager didn't have any painting background when I hired him. So taught, taught him everything. Um, Maggie, same way. She didn't have any painting background. Um, our project coordinator didn't. The first hire that I actually made that had any painting experience was this new uh, salesperson. And he, he moved to Nashville from Mobile, Alabama. So I wasn't, I wasn't stealing him from a competitor, so to speak. It was fresh, fresh to the area. But, um, yeah, there's opportunity to learn from companies like us. You don't, you don't need to come in with a strong background in painting. Yeah, and I think the other thing that stood out to me is, like, you mentioned that your friend just called you and was like, hey, you want to come work for a painting company? And I think that goes both directions, right? If somebody called me tomorrow, like hungry and wanted to learn, I, we, we'll make a spot for you, right? You don't have to go out on your yeah. own and just take it on the chin for years, undercut the market on price and make no money. You could just make a couple phone calls, be proactive and go, go get a job someplace to learn yeah. that next level of skill. Yeah. Yeah, and in in our world, it's there's enough demand to meet the capacity. You know, if if the right person comes around, you can get enough work to to justify that person. Yeah, that's kind of the boat that I'm in right now. Is looking for another operations type guy, and as soon as I find that person, I'm I'm hiring. You know, whether you know, I'm not, I'm not going to over commit on work right now, but as soon as that person's in the, in the queue, I know I can ramp up sales. So what are the characteristics that you are looking for in that person? Uh, number one is problem solver. Uh, because the, the stuff that we do is so unique most of the time that if you don't know how to do it, you need to know how to figure out how to do it pretty quickly. Um, and that's just kind of one of the ones on the wall out there of our core values, uh, problem solving out there. I think, yeah, you can fit a lot. As long as you fit the culture and can solve problems, I like you. So anybody listening who wants to up their game in the Nashville area or move yeah. to Nashville, yeah. send Harpeth Painting a DM on Instagram. He's looking Bring for it. an operation. Bring it. <laughs> Yeah. But I think that that's like, I just didn't know that existed. When I was a young painter, I didn't know that I could call Harpeth Painting and, and be like, I'm young and hungry. I'm Because I was like, I was young, hungry, and I was looking to, I had a motor and I wanted, and I, but I was going to Craigslist and finding jobs for painters looking for, like for looking for a painter. Mm -hmm. And I was coming into companies and you're just like another guy. And like, there was no upward mobility in those companies. Um, but 
you know, I think that if I had known or I had a mentor or somebody or I heard this show as a young person, like, just, I don't have to go out on my own to take the next step. You know, and I don't know, maybe you're better than me, but I, I, I have positions that need to be filled right now, but I, I'm not actively, I don't have stuff out. Like, I, I, my attention is diverted right now, and I haven't spent the time to cultivate and put the ads back out I need to put back out you know yeah I, it, we were talking about being so busy I've got this unique situation right now that literally every single one of my large commercial projects ended at the same time like three weeks ago <laughs> which is kind of a curse but yeah. like I'm literally kind of in that early end of year planning mode already because like my my plates kind of clear uh you know there's not phones not ringing off the hook so it, it, it feels like january to me right now because i'm like okay let's get this in place let's do this i've got time to do this got new estimating software going like it, it feels good to actually do something for the business for a minute what are you using for estimating software um it's a uh, for our commercial or for anything new construction plans based, it's called Slack, uh, Stack, not Slack, Stack. Have you heard of that? No. It's uh, it's an on-screen takeoff type software. Um, it's cloud-based, uh, and it actually stores all the uh, the production rates and everything like that too. So it's used to do a plan takeoff and on-screen takeoff, and then export it to Excel. And uh, this is streamlining that process. Those production rates, did they come from the last company with when you were doing estimating? That's where I started. And then they've kind of evolved to the different crews, different kind of projects we're doing. But that was my baseline. And then you figure out if a job doesn't go well because you job costed it. Zach. What? What's that? <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> we're getting there. Yeah. So, yeah, when the, when there's uh, standardized substrates, it's a lot easier. Yeah. There's there's still some unique things that we just – you got to just sit down and block it by, hey, if I was to paint this 100 square feet of this process, how long would that take me? And then you multiply it out, you know, I do just sit down and think about it. Yeah. That, that's how I do a lot of the custom stuff that we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about the – the price per square foot stuff. And you never start there. You can look at it in the end and see where it ended up, but there's no, you see it all over the internet. How much do you charge per square foot for this? And it's like, you know, start thinking about your labor and your material as two separate things. And you'll answer a lot of those questions for yourself. Yeah. And it's a coefficient that varies depending on what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. Who's it for? Who's it for? What's the access like? What are the working hours? Yeah. Like so many things. What's the travel like? Mm-hmm. You know. But Have again, you got if I'm a young contractor, I could go out on my own and have to learn those those production rates from scratch. Or you could at least start with the baseline. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think um Yeah, there's it's right here. This is what you need. Here's a little, little sales advertisement. 
There you go. That's, good. That's a good starting point too. If you don't know where your what your uh, your production rates are, start there. That's a good point. So you don't have to necessarily have been an estimator in a company, but you join the PCA and you get all of this aggregated knowledge as the, the through the PCA standards. Yeah, cost estimating books, but aren't those books like four or five hundred bucks, man? Uh, yeah, I think it was one hundred and sixty. But like, I like I re I remember when I first heard about the PCA, and I was broke as a, I mean, I went to my first PCA event and probably had a thousand dollars to my name. Yeah, and I was like, I can't believe I'm spending two hundred on a ticket for two days or some insane thing. And uh, then I saw the price of books, and I was like, Are you, are you kidding me? Yeah. Paying that kind of money for a book, it's like if I had just spent the money, it would have saved me thousands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, can I ask you a question? Yeah. You mentioned something about a, another partner. Is that off off topic now? I, or no, I'm bringing on a third partner. It's not the deal's not done, so we're not like I'm not making it public as to who that is and all the the details. But I I'm selling twenty five percent to a, for a strategic partnership um, because I think that I have, I have a, a set of skills that are, are fairly well developed. And then I have some like pretty big blind spots and I have another business partner, Carney, and she has, you know, similar. And, and I think this third person is going to really bring in that missing piece to where, yeah, I'm not going to own as much of the company, but I think the part that I do own will be worth more in 10 years. And so, you know, I, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. You're, I perceive your expertise is in the, the, the product knowledge and the sales process, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you need more of the, the operation systems systems. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my brain is, that's just not how I want to work. And, you know, I will make all sorts of excuses why structure is not going to be good for me or whatever. And I know well, that, you know, at least, you know, you know, I know that I'm wrong. And so I'm like, okay, I could either continue to double down on my strengths and accelerate there, or I could like go through the extreme pain of trying to get my weaknesses to be decent. And I don't know, I'm just not a guy that likes pain. And so I'm going to go with the easier route. If Nothing wrong with that. You know, because I'm completely comfortable with, no, I'm not complete. Like, it's always a thing of like, I'm giving up 25% of the thing that I've literally put my blood, sweat and tears into for 10 years straight. And, you know, and this year versus next year and the year after, I mean, we just hit like an inflection point. So there's a part of me that's like, you know, and we had this conversation with him. It was like, I don't want to resent you a year from now when I'm like, you just got on like the rocket ship that I built. Yeah. And, but, you know, there's, but then as a mature adult, I can step back and go, well, this is obviously, that's not the case. Like this person is going to add a lot of value and I will be farther along. This, this company will look better. It will, the financials will be better. The the systems we can scale this with this person in a way that I would have to spend an eighty hours a week being miserable to ever come close. And it's like, 
at a certain point, it's like, you know, get the, throw the ego aside, have a part, like bring in another partner and, you know, have a bigger pie. Yeah. Makes sense. So what do you think the inflection point was over the last year or two for your explosive growth? The, for a lot of, I mean, it was just a marketing thing. It was a brand recognition, reputation, um, a lot of business development, really. It was a lot of business development over years and years of spending the time, building the connections, earning trust. And, you know, in our, in our world, the larger, the higher end stuff and the larger jobs, like they don't, you don't just get, they don't just go like call in the phone book to get pricing. Like Mm -hmm. it's hard to get, you have to get pulled up into that world. And so, you know, it's, it's taken a long time of proving ourselves and working on the business development side a lot. And it's in the last six months, it's sort of like, it seems to be accelerating in with like an exponential rate or at least like a snowball that's really picking up speed. Mm-hmm. Are you, um, uh, is there a, a group of competitors out there that you are pricing things against and, and, or is it not so much that case? A little bit. Yeah. There, there are. So what we found is now there, we are giving a premium and a standard price for all of our GC when we bid projects for the most part. And because I'm learning that these big high-end GCs that like they're taking our numbers and putting them in spreadsheets and then submitting them to the client. And they're not seeing my incredibly detailed, beautiful proposal that I spent five hours on. They're just seeing a line item that says a number. Mm-hmm. And now once that I found that out, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to put in standard pricing with premium upgrades. The other guys aren't even going to offer any premium upgrades. What I would have called our standard line of painting is now a premium upgrade. And we're sh- we're saying like, hey, we can compete at like, if we show up and paint, like we can compete there pretty close. Like we're right in the mix. But also we have all of these premium upgrades that you can pick from to, and the one we're on now, I think like 75% of the house ended up being a premium upgrade. But they it's were- still all... All of it's fine paints, just different prep levels. Yes. Yes. Because at the end of the day, you know, I, for us, the, the, the paint is really going to be what's, you know, that, that's just what we leave behind. And to me, I'm, I'm, I just believe in the product so much. And again, it, it, that is a differentiator for us. You know, even if we are a little more with our standard pricing, we're using a product that's going to last twice as long. Mm-hmm. And but again, it, without the years of business development and building those relationships, like generally, I, we're going to have the designer advocating for us in that meeting with the builder. Hopefully, we have the builder advocating for us too. Yeah, you know, and because what I found is that's kind of what it takes to get someone to go with the high price is context. Because unfortunately, the, our, these clients don't get—I don't get to meet the clients in that yeah. decision-making process. That is truly the downside of some of that higher-end residential stuff: is you're insulated between the contractor and the designer, and the and the homeowner. Really, the homeowner is the one that's going to live there for 20 years and wants it to look and feel like magic. It it's it hurts my heart that 
the way the system is because I see clients, they're not getting what they really want sometimes because the process is just the process. You know, they, they bid the project a lot of times with placeholder budgets, then they win the job and then they go out to bid. And when they held 150,000 for paint, when my entry level price might be 300 and I might have premium upgrades to 700. And if the client was given those options, they might actually be very interested in them. But if the GC gave $150 budget, they look pretty bad bringing me in for three, five and seven. Yeah. So I don't get brought to the table in those situations sometimes. And so I, I've changed how I'm playing the game of estimating to get to the table. But again, it doesn't come just through GC. It comes through designer GC. Yeah. You know, we find more success with the, once you've done something with the designer, they're more the liaison between the contractor and the homeowner. And if they're familiar with your pricing and your product, they can kind of advocate for you a little bit better. Yeah. Because you need somebody in that room to, to talk about the difference versus just numbers on a spreadsheet. And yeah, that's, 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 you know, that just comes for me. That's been just years of putting out the work, executing at a high level, building relationships, earning trust. Um, you know, it, we have by no means that we have it figured out, but yeah, it's really hard when you're like, God, if I could just talk to the client, we could figure out what matters to them and we could tailor this paint job to them. But that's just not the world that we live in with the high end residential. Yeah, it's a constant battle. But that's why I really like the standard pricing model because now it's getting us in that conversation. And then we, I toured this project we just won. I toured the client to two different projects so they could see uh, a premium versus a standard as best that I could show them. And so they were able to like visually see it. Because words sometimes are hard for people to, to you know, mm -hmm. you, I know what we're talking about. But I had a, cl a call with a client today about a gloss room and it's premium standard. And, and she wants to know what the difference is. Well, if you, if I gave you the estimate, you would instantly know. It's clear, you know, what it is. But what does that mean to, to a, 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 the layperson who's buying this and living with it? You're like, there's one speck of dust allowed in the premium. Yeah. And seven in the basic <laughs> that's it and you can you know and, and that's what it becomes like you we all would love like, i would sell much better if it was to direct a client every time but all the best projects in my experience are behind a gc designer paywall like yep. you just you you don't those awesome clients aren't calling me out of the phone book very yeah. often yeah, we, I, I wish on the commercial side too with, you know, everything's bid to a spec and they, they a lot of times just will not reason with you if you try to submit something different that is a, it's not going to cost them anymore. It's just a different product or especially now with product availability just being shit. But uh, you just want to talk to somebody that actually cares about the end result. I have found that the, the, the good GCs that we're working for, they are, they do like, like there is more room for that. Uh, but 
what I have found is I have to be incredibly proactive in the sales process. Like they are completely content to send me plans and get a proposal back. Like that, they're not going to push for anything more than that. Yeah. I have to go, no, I, I want to have a phone call Then I want to go out to the site. I want, I like, and I'm going to pick and apart. I got to drag it out of them. Because mm -hmm. I mean, What's the molding profiles? Is there built-ins that you're paying? A lot of that stuff doesn't show up on residential plans. You got to dig and get that information. Yes. Is it brushed or sprayed? It like, like we were looking at a, a huge one yesterday. I was out and it's like, look, now that we're this far down the road and we're looking like we may be the preferred contractor. I, I'm not really, I don't, I don't even want to bid this project and not use FP on the exterior. You know, this is, we're only painting soffits on the whole exterior of a 30,000 square foot custom home and they're black. Yeah. If we're going to use not FPE paint, like this doesn't make any sense. Like you're talking about a, you know, 40, $50 million build upgrading the paint for a few thousand yeah. dollars and getting twice the life. Pennies. You know, and in this case, the PM is really good. And he's like, that's, that's actually the client would really like to hear that. You know, but what do I have to do? I have to write paragraphs in my proposal because I'm yeah. not going to get to meet the client till we, if, till we win the job. So I, in my proposal, I'm going to write a couple paragraphs about why we're using this exterior grade paint. And, but I mean, I probably submitted 15 bids similar to this in the last three years that just got, probably didn't get submitted to the client because right. I didn't understand all of the little things. Um, the other thing I will say, what you were talking about with the the um, the spec, that's why like building relationships with the architects who are specking these things, mm -hmm. you know, has been big. Like I, I had an architect on here on the show, and and we've become friends outside, and we're we've helped him write his spec for bids as they go out. I've had another architect reach out through Instagram, and we helped write the spec completely independent of whether we do the work but you know i have found that the, the good architects they want to hear from the experts about like what are these coatings and what can we do maybe yeah. more so than what these paint companies are going to tell them i think it's different in the the residential guys and the commercial guys in that sense a lot of these commercial architects are global firms you know it's yeah you might be <laughs> able to get to somebody they're they're just you know copy and paste in a ten year old Sherwin Williams spec, you know, and then when you try to convince them that it's the product isn't even around anymore, like oh no, that's not true. It is. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, that's a different world. I can yeah. take the architects golfing. You can't. Yeah, yeah, I like my local architects. Yeah, yeah, I I think that that is that's tough and and. Yeah, Jason just commented he he rewrites specs and he he is an advocate. He's one of the good ones that'll drag down on those architects to get it done. Jason, he's a GC. No, he's uh, my Benjamin Moore rep. Oh, he's still he's still listening to this for some reason. He loves paint. <laughs> I think everybody on here loves paint. You were yeah. watching. I decorate. Just had an interesting idea. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna write this down actually. What about the a video? video proposal or introduction of yourself? I'm going to ask my GCs if they would present that and how that Dude, would you could slide into DMs that way. 
find out who the customer is and just send an unsolicited video. That's not creepy at all. I signed like I just signed an NDA the other day to yeah, yeah. a project. But now that I've sent it, I can send him I signed it. Now I can send him a message directly, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's not weird. <laughs> you try it first, let me know how it goes. Yeah. Hi, billionaire entrepreneur. I'm your painter. I want to be your painter. And here are the five reasons why you should hire me. And I have like a whiteboard behind me. But I think that, like, I don't even know if that would work because they're taking my beautiful written proposal and they're putting it into an Excel spreadsheet. To think that a GC in a client meeting is going to pull out a video. Yeah. Probably not going to happen. It's, it's a good idea that the tactical part of it would be tough to figure out. I, I think that, and that's where, like, for me, what – what what I see working is is you get in with the GC you you so this big GC that we're working for now, it started through Instagram. Their young people in the company were like, these guys are legit. I sent them messages. We went back and forth for a year. I looked at a couple projects for their property management division. Didn't get them. Finally, I got a small like thirty thousand dollar property management division project. I was able, we were able to execute. We got in their system. You know, we were there now. We, we performed like we said we would. And like, it's like baby steps. And then I developed relationships with the designers and kept that going. And then another project came around with that builder. And it's like, oh, I've worked for you. I mean, it was a tiny project for you guys, but I, I work for you guys. And, and mm-hmm. then it's this like slow, steady relationship building climb. Um, yeah. And you probably don't have a lot that you work with. It's a, it's probably a select few. And then you, the word spreads within that company. They may be doing two or three builds at a time. And by the, you know, the next, the next cycle of projects, you know, these, this GC is unbelievable. And it's just, it spreads from PM to PM. And, and then that's like, we're doing this project and my whole team knows like, and it's how it is for everything, every project. But our job is to make our client love us and want to use us again, right? Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate marketing. It's just make people want to use you next time. Yep. And so for us, that means client communication. Um, you said you had a project coordinator and a, pro- and a PM. What are their roles? So the project manager uh... – he he has more of a role in the larger commercial projects of kind of the day-to-day uh, coordination, uh, any of the weekly meetings that go on, uh, pricing, any change orders, all the documentation, safety stuff. Uh, and then he'll tag in as needed on some of the residential stuff. Um, you know, if we need like a, a boom lift on something, he'll go out and coordinate that. Uh they are communicating the schedule on on long-term projects and staying up on the schedule. Uh, and the project coordinator does uh, strictly the residential stuff, and it's more uh, like project startup and close out, client communication stuff. Do you have? So they they talk with the customer a lot more than I ever do. And and you have systems for that. 
communication. Yep, and and they're building. We've we've broken all our systems this year. So I say we have systems. We did, and they all broke. So because we just growth bigger, you know, adding people yeah. quickly kind of broke some of those systems. But we're reestablishing them. So you'll do about five million this year. What did you do the year before? Uh, three point two. Yeah, that's a pretty big jump. And we're, uh, I'm going to say it, seven next year. Let's go. Now I said it, it's going to happen. Everyone listening, we're going to hold Matt to that. Yeah. Show us your P&L a year from now. You're going to get yeah. messages. Yeah. But I think that it's a good point what you were saying earlier. Like you're, you're relieved to be done with those three projects all in a row because we both know the only way you'll do seven well next year is if you spend a bunch of time planning, mm -hmm. right? Well, yep. I don't know. That's what I would think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, you can get you can get all the work you want, but you got to make it profitable. Yeah. You got to do it well. And that looks very different from three million to seven million. Yeah. Right. The, three million. Three million was pretty much just me and half of Maggie. So this year it's five of us. Yeah. It's a lot of extra overhead to go 2 million, but that's kind of the formula that you see is because as you get removed from things, you got to have more people involved and more systems in place. Um, we're mm -hmm. feeling that now and you know, I get frustrated on a, a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis on, like, my first instinct is, like, how could this person have let this happen? And then five seconds later, you're like, dude, what are you talking about? Did you set them up for success? Like, did you build a system that they're following incorrectly? Yep. Oh, wait, no, you didn't. You just thought words were enough. You could tell somebody something once, and that would be enough. Yeah. And man, that is something that I struggle with big time is I just assume people are going to do the right thing. Like you said, if you tell them once, it's like, that's how we do it, but you're not reinstating it. It's not written down. You don't talk about it. You can't expect them to, to do it. Yeah. Because it's so much more than like, it's like trying to tell someone who doesn't speak a language fluently something in a language you speak fluently, like tell, tell them a concept, describe a concept. Mm -hmm. Like they're just trying to figure out the words, never mind. Like there's not a where to me, it's like I know my business so deeply, how I want things done. They're so ingrained in my brain that when I say it one time, it's got 400 connections in my head and yeah. it's easy for me to remember. But to somebody who's hearing this information, you know, out of context for the first or second time, it's not going to be seared in there as clearly as it is in my head when I say it. And we have a lot of people here, even with my, my sub crews that have a real ownership mentality, but they're still not owners. You know, you can, they can operate with that mentality, but they still aren't going home and sitting there and it's rattling around in their head. You know, it's, it's, there's gotta be a balance with what you give them you can't assume that they're just going to do what you would do. Yeah. And I've, I've had to learn that pretty quickly. Still not very good at it.
Yeah, I struggle with it. I, I literally said that word for word what you just said. I said to somebody today. You know, it's like I Maggie even gets mad at me. She's like, you got to unload what's in your head. Yes. <laughs> and that's why I'm bringing on the partner that I'm bringing on because I'm very confident that they are going to incredibly efficiently put all of this stuff into systems that can be followed. I mean, I know what could I could I do it? Nick Slavic and I have talked about it 14 million times. Of course. He came to ZKFS and he wrote the SOP for gloss. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Yeah, that <laughs> that thing that's here. I stole it. Put that down in paper in 10 minutes. Yeah. I've been painting for 22 years. I'd never put it down on the paper. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing that we have not figured out how to do is is SOP for like that one, like the details of how to paint. That gets a little tricky with subs. Um, and then also just you could you could do a lot of the standard stuff, but hey, we just did a bunch of felt wall covering. How do you make an SOP for that? You know, you're gonna do it once and that's it. So there's there's a balance of we we SOP business processes more than we do field processes. That that's what I'm really looking to do is put on. I just I am not a person that puts things on the paper. Like we just had this call a minute ago, and they're like, "Okay, well, we want you to do." But is like they're just like, "Okay, so just start tracking and writing down what you did each day." based off of how many hours you spent. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I love that idea. And I probably need to do it. But the way yeah. I'm wired, that's a really difficult thing for me to do. I'll start tomorrow and I'll write the first two things I do, or maybe I do a day. But, and that's where I'm like, I'm, you know, but I also hate the idea of saying, oh, I'm just this way. So I want to change, but I also want to change like, with the least amount of effort possible. I want to do the 80, 20, you know, I, yeah. that's why I love Tim Ferriss yeah. because I want to figure out how do I shortcut this? And, you know, for me, that's bringing on a business partner. Have you heard of the book clockwork? No, it's by the same guy that wrote profit first that Mike McCallowitz guy. Yeah. Uh, go listen to it tomorrow. All in one day. While you're driving around, yep. you got three hours back and forth. Uh, but, but he has a really good idea in um, kind of his documenting SOPs. He calls it, uh, you should have four folders for everything or in your business, acquiring, converting, delivering, and collecting. Everything fits in those four categories. So acquiring is sales, getting your work, converting is uh like the proposal process and i guess what is converting that's confusing with acquiring anyways delivering is actually doing the work that would be like your gloss sop and then collecting is obviously getting paid but he he doesn't believe in writing it down he just says make videos of it and do screen captures and then just put I, it in that folder well, I, i'm very comfortable doing that Look, all the things you can do, like for my estimating process is like, oh, crap, I'll just do a, a 15 minute screen capture video, get a microphone and a 
camera and screen capture and it's done. Send it to my guys. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. Got it. And if they need to look at it again, it's right there in the folder. I love it. I, I'm clockwork. I, I think I've, I've accumulated about, I have too many credits on Audible. I've been slacking. Yeah. I've been listening to too many podcasts. It's actually a really good one to listen to on Audible before you read it. You'll still need to read it just to get the practical side of it down. But the dude's a, the author reads it and he's hilarious and he puts all kind of funny stuff in there. Great. Great. I, uh, I'm yeah. going to crush that then. Because that, that is what I'm realizing now is that that is something I have to take on myself is my own time management. You know, we can have this call and I can bring on a partner and we can implement systems, but right now I, I do, I'm going to need to, I need to improve the, the main area I need to improve on is time management. Just for you personally? Yeah. Yeah. Are you Just a workaholic? Because, what's that? Are you a workaholic? Not all, not at no. all. Okay. So just, just more balance. Yeah, it, it's being efficiency. more efficient with my time. Like, yeah, no, I've, I have, um, I love what I do so much that I've learned that I, it, like, I'm a recovering addict. So I've, I've learned to, like, if I love something, I need to be able to do it in moderation. <laughs> and so, like, I now ski in moderation. That was not a ca the case three or four winters ago. I, we had a little bit of a moment. And uh, my wife was like, this is not fun anymore. And we, <laughs> I figured out that leaving the mountain two hours early on a Sunday is not going to kill me. And so I think that, yeah, I'm lucky that I, I have, through recovery, I have made sure that work didn't become a thing that I just, I was allowed to put 80 hours in this week. Like, it's just not something that I, I will let myself do because yeah I know that there's a short-term payoff there but the long term you know my relationships will suffer I won't be mm -hmm. as effective but that being said my eight to ten hours of work in a day I think I I'm a, a pretty pro pretty reactive person throughout my day and um, I've gotten good like I'm really good at juggling the balls mm -hmm. But again, the long game to that is, well, what happens if they throw seven more balls in? Well, yep. eventually, you know, if juggling is how you're getting through life, you know, I'd rather like build a like little pyramid out of the balls and like keep going. Yeah. Like, that's what I know I need to do, but it's not always easy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, the hardest thing for me to give up is some of the project management stuff and the well, obviously, I'm I'm doing all the the sales and estimating in the commercial world. I've given up some of the project management now, but I've got to figure out how to give up that sales and estimating process. And that is the scariest one. Yeah. That's the one I, I think I, I will give up last for sure. Well, it's my area. Of, it's like my what I'm good at. So it's the it's the hardest thing to to give up because I'm good at it. And whoever I hire is probably going to be better, but, you know, realizing that they are is going to take time. Yeah. Where did the name Harpeth Painting come from for everybody out there? Uh, it's a river in our town, um, specifically kind of where we live on the west side of town. Uh, and it flooded our house in 2010. The Harpeth River did. So it's kind of a 
a uh, little payback. It's tremendous. That, that story is was insane. And that was when did you start the company? Uh, five years ago. When was that? Seventeen. Seventeen. Is that what it was? Yeah. When did you know that Harpeth painting was going to be what you called it? Uh, so, uh, I, I played around with a couple names before and I don't know how we stumbled on Harpeth painting it was like, yep, that's it. Put everything else to the side. That's the one. I, I, I love it. When you were telling me that story of having a house flooded and the whole thing is Harpeth could totally be a last name. Yeah. So that's what you thought at first, right? I thought it was your last name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, there's like there's like like A plus painting. You're like, oh, I don't think your last name's A plus. But like there's that was one of those where I was like, well, obviously, like even when I went to my phone today to call you, I typed in Harpeth. <laughs> and then like, yeah, obviously it's Kuiper, but like you know, it's it's a it's a yeah, great we got story. The logo is actually a river reflecting. It's kind of a brush river hybrid there. So it's gold. Thanks, thanks to my friend Judd for that one. It's gold. So your 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 forty thousand dollar job comes from the connection you had with somebody from your past um, job. Mm -hmm. What what happened after that? Just kept getting more work. So you so you executed. Because you had a sub team of, of people that you knew from your past job? Yep. So actually the uh, the backstory behind that is sat down with those guys and I always assumed I would just hire them as, as employees. So, you know, a couple of them, we met at the, met for dinner one night and said, Hey, let, let's do this thing. If you guys want to come on board, let's, let's talk about what that looks like. I don't know what I need to pay you hourly. Like, let's just start talking about it. And they were like, what if we were subs? I was like, I hadn't thought about that. You know, that might might be a good idea. Because um, they, they have this, uh, I don't know if it's a cultural desire, or just a personal desire that they, they really like having their own business and doing their own thing and, and ownership of something. And I think that was the, the an opportunity for them too. Um, and then what, what I think one of our strengths has been is, is business coaching our subs uh, on how to grow as we grow. So they've, most of them, the, the leads have been with me from, from day one and they've kind of, you know, sp spread out and grown and one guy started his crew over here and, um, and then we just kind of coach them on, on, hey, here's here's some ideas on how to track time from your guys or how to, you know, start jobs and whatever. It's just not specifically how to paint, but more how they run their little businesses. Yeah, we've we've experienced a little bit of that, and it's it's been. I mean, I mean, I think it was going to, and the the retreat that we went on together and talking with you guys, I, we weren't using subs at that time. I don't think. Yeah. You were um, just starting. Maybe. Yeah. We were just starting and And I, it's only through the PCA and meeting people. And like when I was at my first PCA event and Jason Paris was like, I use subs. 
I was like, this freaking, like, I just, I thought so low. Uh, I just, I didn't, I didn't understand because I think there's also a group of people who use subcontractors and just they're taking advantage of them. And it's a, it's a really bad situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think that I, I've talked to people here as I've been interviewing people and looking for subcontractors, like you hear the horror stories of people just being completely taken advantage of. And I just was like, that is something I'd never want to do. Mm-hmm. And it was only through meeting the people like and then hearing Jason and finding out what's actually happening and talking to you guys and a number of other people where you started, you start, I started to understand that the subcontractor model can make a lot of sense. If we add the value that we are taking is our percentage. Yep. You know, it's not, I get, you know, I get the job for 10,000. I give it to you for 5,000 and then you do everything you collect the check and you come back to me while I lay in my hammock. Yep. Right. And I think that's what, a, that happens quite a bit. And that's the perceived bad. model, I think. Yeah. But then when you find out like, oh wait, no, instead it's, I get it for 10,000, give it to you for five, whatever the percentages are. We, we give more than that, but then I'm going to sell the job, manage the job. I'm going to make your life so easy mm-hmm. that you get to do what you love to do, which is paint. Yep. And I look at my subs now. I'm like, I would have, I never would have gone past doing that. Probably like I love to paint. And if someone would have get, get make, gotten me great projects, paid me that what I wanted to get and made my life easy and then gave me more and more of those. Mm-hmm. Like that's tremendous. Exactly. Um, so what did that look like for you? You were like, okay, I guess I'll do a sub model. Yeah, and it, it kind of changed my thought process um, from the, the uh, I don't really know how to say the, not the business perspective, but just the model in general, I think I realized how effective it could be and how quickly it could grow and how, how little or how much I could do by myself starting out. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's just one of those things that it fell in my lap that way and then backed into it of, Oh, I got to get subcontracts. I got to, you know, get, get insurance certificates and do all this stuff. It's like, well, that's easy. I can do all that. And it's just paperwork. Yeah. And then, then the other thing people always ask, like I thought and people ask me is like, well, do the clients know you're using subcontractors? I, I, I don't know about you, but like, yeah, of course. Like, yeah. If, if uh, we've actually had more recently ask uh, in the, in the past, it hasn't really come up that much, but we're, it's not a, we're not hiding it. It's part of our, we're providing a value to them. It doesn't matter yeah. who's, who's painting it, whether it's a sub or an employee, the end result's going to be Harper painting. Yeah. We're ultimately, the, we're yeah. going to manage it. Our standards are going to be met. Like, yeah whether or not I bring in my, cause we have employees as well. And, you know, we were on a project and I, I'm, the client was given a little pushback about it. And I was like, look, we're going to have a, like a sub here. And then, you know, but then we also, we, at that project, we needed help from our employees. So we brought in one of our subs to help. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, look, at the end of the day, it's, there's no difference. They work together. It's all yep. the same. It's just, like you said, they want an ownership mentality. They own the, They own their their end. And we are managing the project. It's a CK painting project. Yeah. Standards will be yep. met and everything will be done through us. Yeah. We have the same thing. We've got four or five right now uh, employees, painters, you know, so it's, they'll be on, on jobs together and it's the same result. Yeah. And, and that was a, that's what I realized is now, like if to run a sub model, you have to add a lot of value, right? If, if I'm not, if we're mm -hmm. not adding value, we go extinct as a business in general, yep. whether either we are ripping off the client or we're ripping off the sub. Yeah. But if we can find a way to make the client, us and the sub all win, 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 that means everyone's bringing something to the table. Mm -hmm. And once I could wrap my head around that, it's like, oh yeah, like we're going to build this awesome sales marketing and project management arm. And then our production will be majority taken care of by subcontractors. Yep. And my job is to make them want to work with us more than they want to work direct to client. And simple. It's so simple. Hard. Yeah. I don't know why everyone makes such a big deal of yeah. a business thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that easy. Two sentences. You're done. Yeah. yeah. Just sell it and produce it. But that's that's what would that's what always like bugged me when I I would like I'm interviewing these guys and it's like, okay, so you're doing seven, five million this year. You just you just produce like for me it was like production managing employees for production was always the biggest thing. You're like, wait, what? You just produce seven million, and it's like, well, yeah, because there's guys who only are focused on production. Their business is production only, and mm -hmm. then the other guys' business is the sales, the marketing, the client, the management, all of those things. So I was trying to do all of them, and no wonder I wasn't finding it was it was pretty hard. <laughs> one one person can cap out in a really good business at about two and a half to three million if you're superman Superman, and, and and at that point you're you're gonna break yeah i know some guys that have done stuff like that i i met a guy at fine pates of europe training uh certification which is this weekend actually i can't wait. i think it's this weekend yeah. yeah and this guy was telling me how he was running 120 guys they were doing drywall. They were doing framing, drywall, and painting in New York City because, like, the GCs loved that the schedule yeah, internally. And he was waking up at like three in the morning. Going, he was he had no office help. He was running the whole show. And and I, not, we're all just peppering him with questions like, "Dude, this doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about?" You know. He's like, yeah, I get to the office by 4 a.m. And I work till freaking 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, well, as far as I know, I, I, I don't think I'm talking out of school. I'm pretty sure he's out of business. You know, that is not a sustainable thing. Uh -uh. And it hurt me. It, it made, first of all, at first I felt like a complete loser. I was like, <laughs> wow, this guy is a freaking superhuman. I'm a slacker. I'm just a complete slacker. But, but again, yeah. I want to build a business that's that's sustainable over time. Yeah, and that really comes down to the that bottom line number. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of 
I wouldn't just say painting contractors, but a lot of trades contractors that, you know, if they paid themselves a hundred thousand dollars a year, then they're fine. You know, that's all they need. They're, that business didn't actually make anything. You know, the business needs to, to make money for you to be successful in the long term. Yeah. We'll pay you a hundred grand to do all the work you were just doing and you yeah. get home at five o'clock. Yeah. Cause get something's going to happen. Job's going to go bad. Economy's going to get soft, whatever. And you're going to need something to live on and resiliency. If you're just living, you know, on crackers for your net profit, yeah, it's not going to work. And that's another thing that, that came from, for me through, from the PCA. The, the, the concept of, of what is your net profit and how to calculate it and all gross profit on jobs and all of that stuff. If, if, if the PCA hadn't come around, I, I mean, I would still be that guy who was like, I mean, my, my rent's paid. I got some money in the bank. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? I'm chasing revenue. And I, I mean, I chased revenue for the first five years blindly. I'm making less money each year yeah. as revenue went up. Yeah. And having more headaches and having more burned bridges. And, you know, thank God I've met some smart people at the PCA who were like, you know, you should be doing a minimum of 10% net profit at least and mm -hmm. pay yourself really well. Yeah. But the goal should be 15 or 20. Yep. And then you start to go, like, oh, wait a second. Like, how do I do that? You know, because I, I talk to guys all the time that were me five years ago, and they're they're like, I'm making great money. And when when you hear that, it's always just like, all right, tell me what that means. What does great money mean? Because I'm worried now. And it's like, okay, well, like let's break it down. And, you know, how many hours are you working that isn't producing? And not, yep. the next thing yep. you know, yeah, you're not really making very much. And taking all the risk. Yeah, there's an immense amount of risk in what we do. Yeah. And there's not enough profit in it for the amount of risk that we take on. Yeah, it's true. It, like, you know, who knows? Like, we, there's, there's a lot to that. And, but if it wasn't for being exposed to those ideas, you know, I would never have known what to strive for. You know? Mm hmm Makes sense. So, you just went from 40 thousand dollar project like oh then we just like blew up and did five million uh give me a little bit give me a little let, let me more. see um let's see big project timeline so what, what were the lessons you learned on the forty thousand dollar project that that one there wasn't a lot of lesson to learn on the, again it kind of goes back to what my history was that i was I was on the opposite side of this. I was a project manager hiring painting contractors and running these jobs. Um, so I knew, I knew the way these projects run. I knew who the players were. So that, that wasn't a surprise. I think the, the surprise came, we started, we did a project, a, a, an office building, it was a shell office building, parking garage, kind of our first real like big project is a few hundred thousand um, and realized like, Oh, cash flow is a thing. That my first thought when you said that was like, I was going to ask you how, how did cash flow work from that? Um, 
so I learned very quickly how to get a line of credit. Uh, and thankfully having a good relationship with a banker helped. Um, but really once we got, once we got over that kind of first hump, it was, it was okay. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's one of those things like you're looking, it's like, Oh, I've got a thousand dollars left. You know, <laughs> this has got to last me a few weeks, but I've got, you know, 150 coming and, a month, whatever. I wasn't aware for how quickly cash would burn. How do you structure your your your, your payment schedule for those contracts, those larger ones? It's it's for, for my subs or for the contractor. For the contractor, they and structure both. It. I'm interested in both. So I get paid by the contractor when they get paid by their owner. It's, it's typically a pay when paid clause. Um, so best case scenario, that's 30 days. Often it's 90. Uh, and you just, you just got to plan on it being 90. Yep. Don't expect it any quicker. Um, but we pay, we pay our subs weekly. That's one of the things that we do that they really like. And then we, uh, we also pay our, our, trade accounts quickly and in full um, keeps, keeps people liking us. Yeah. We, we're basically just a bank. You're just a big bank. So, yeah. and again, in order to do that, you better have good margins. To mm -hmm. All that. Yep. And it gets, it gets easier as you get that revenue up to a certain, certain level, because then there's enough of that, retained earnings that you can kind of float some of it. Yeah. We're in that pain point right now of the growth has happened so fast and the cash flow is not there because as we're getting the larger projects, the stuff takes longer and they're larger checks. And it's like, yeah, we have 150,000 out, but we need, we got to pay out now. Yeah. And I can, we're already seeing like, yes, in a year from now that that problem won't be here if we continue on this trajectory. Mm -hmm. But so it's, it's worth it if you can to, to get that uh, line of credit as, as big of one as you can, because it's, it's free money right now, pretty much yeah. rates are so reasonable. And if you, even if you just use it for a month or whatever, it's nice to have it there. So within your subcontracts, it's broken down. You know, they do the job for a hundred thousand. It's, it's said they're going to be prorated by the week. Or how do you determine what you pay them each week? So they'll actually, on those bigger jobs that go on where it's it's harder to set like, hey, this is what this job is worth because there's scope creep and change orders and things like that. Um, and also for production rates, they're turning in hours as, as a whole, not like individual hours, but hours spent on that job. And then that's how we draw off that total amount. But th they have a, a hard contract with you for a set price to do a job, or they're subcontracted by the hour? It depends on the job. Is the that more legal? It's legal in Tennessee. Okay. I don't think it's legal. It's not me. legal in every state. No. Okay. I was like, I don't want to blow up your spot, man. But uh, No. no that's, it, uh, people ask that question all the time. It, we, this is highly vetted by lawyers. Okay. I was like, yeah. wow. So what we do is we have an open – 
a, an open purchase order for that job with what that subcontracted hourly rate is. Okay. And then they, they draw against that purchase order. Interesting. Hourly. Wow. And that's, so, is that a, do you, I mean, I guess you only care about Tennessee, but do you know other, other states where that's legal as well? The, the most South of the center of the country, you're fine. Yeah. It's you coastal people that can't do that. No, we can't. I mean, in California, you can't even subcontract hardly anything. Yeah, it's a whole other ballgame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But on, on a more predictable job, say it's a, uh, I don't know, something that they can walk in and see, and it's uh, the scope is going to be what it is from the beginning to the end. We'll say, you know, we'll write a contract or purchase order for that job of, hey, it's $10,000 or whatever. Do they prefer one versus the other? We have different crews that prefer different arrangements. Yeah. Some of them will only do it by the job because they, they can make a little bit extra money if they hustle. Yeah. Whereas the, the, the ones that are on the hour, they're going to make what they make for the hours produced. There's no, they can't make anything up. Yeah. All right. We've, we've had a, to do a mix of that, but from what I understand, we, we're legal to do it if we are contracted by the hour as well. So, you know, there's certain projects where T&M just makes more sense for the client and for yeah. us, the painter. It's This is a win-win. Yeah. You know, if I give a hard number, I have to figure for worst case. Yeah. Um, and so we've and, and we've definitely found, like, sometimes the subs are like, we don't want to do any more T&M. And then you do a job. We just did a job, T&M, that ended up being like a $25,000 repaint of a bath. If I would have bid that project, I would never have bid it at twenty five thousand. <laughs> you know, but it's just the nature of what happened, and then as scope changed and the details, and you know, it was an involved project. And you know, so sometimes you're like, "Wow, good thing we did that TNM." Yeah, but it's it's definitely it, interesting. It's it's a it's a curse one way or the other because TNM you're only going to make what your hourly rate is. Whereas even even for us, if we're a set contract on a job, we can end up making sixty or seventy percent, you know, versus yeah. forty or fifty. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely that whole thing. It's always because you know it's client by client too, where they're like, we don't want anything to do with TNM or yeah. some like I'm always envious of those guys in California that are doing those high end residentials TNM, like. Uh, um, Kuntz, yeah, and uh, Bob, Bob Kuntz and um, McDermott. McDermott was on here, and he's mm -hmm. like, "Oh yeah, you know, we do all of our high end residentials TNM." And I'm just like, "That's I've talked to all my GCs. They're like, that's just it's yeah, we know that makes the most sense." I was talking with the, the architect on a project. Just we bid for like 1.4 million. I'm like do you realize that this is so much more cost effective if you just did it T&M? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we kind of do, but nobody does that. Like, so we'll do it. I'm like, yeah, so let's do this 1.4 T&M and everybody wins and yeah. the client gets the best value. But, you know, the, it's just not a standard thing to do those large high-end projects as T&M um, where I am. And then I talked to Gus at McDermott. He's like, yeah, we do all of our projects like that. I'd say about half 
half of our high-end residential work is T&M versus contract. Yeah. I would, I would like to see ours be higher, but I've, I've given up. Like it's not going to be. Yeah. Um, it's fine. It, you know, it is what it is. You just know, you know, you get to bid accordingly, but it's definitely with high end custom. It's just that it's custom. And, you know, especially with the, the remodels and things, it's like there's subs in the way there's things are changing. It's like, yeah. Hey, if you couldn't possibly track all the change orders. No. And, and that's where I've learned to be very detailed in the proposal as detailed as like the one where they've asked us to, to edit some stuff for this, this bid that's 1.4 to be super detailed with a bunch of exclusions. And because they want us, they want to tie us to timelines. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, like, this is terrifying. Like I'm, you know, we're going to commit to doing $1.4 million worth of work in 106 days of work or something. I forget. They have them all broken out. And when you're going to, we're going to mobilize three different times. And, you know, and it's freaking the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And all of that is like, it's scary. Right. So what I'm, I'm not going to be sharpening my pencil. I'll tell you, you know, where if it's T and M, you're going to get exactly what it costs. But I'd love to see one of your big detailed proposals sometime. Yeah. I'll send you one. We're, we're sending it out tomorrow and I'll send it over. Just CC me. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> We, it's my we consultant paint scout and um i'm i'm liking it it's so my the, the the new estimator that came over uh kind of brought paint scout with him and it worked for a little bit and then when it got into the the complexity of some of the stuff we're doing across so many different realms it's like oh, we can't use this yeah it's a residential estimating software for sure yeah and it works good for that he's like why would I use paint scout for this job and our template for this job and uh, stack for this job, you know? Yeah. And I, I is, also don't convenient. use it as true estimating software. I, I use it as a proposal writing and sending an invoicing software. Ah. Um, you know, I'm not using production rates yeah. within the program and typing in dimensions. You're just getting that end value. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful web-based proposal software that I can have a bunch of templates in and I can easily put options in and, you know, it's, it's, it's just, a, and it's, a, it's the, it's the most aesthetically pleasing proposal I've, I've seen from a software yet. And, you know, for us, that's big. Are you still using work glue too? Yep. That's right now we use work glue for time tracking. And I think we will probably, we may start to use it for project management more, but we're highly underutilizing it. I'm, I've been toying with it, did all the training and still not sure if it's going to be our solution. Our hodgepodge system seems to be working better. Yeah. Jason, Ge or, um, Jason Garrett, that's the, that's the football coach. Um, why am I blanking? What's, what's Garrett? Jason or Garrett? No. Um, Garrett painting in um, Missouri. Oh, Shane. Shane Garrett. Oh, my God. He I don't know if you're going for Garrett Martell or not. No, he posts so much on freaking Facebook, you think I know his name. <laughs> um, but he's he had – I like – have you ever talked to him about his workflow? 
through his mm -hmm. company. He was on here, and he's got a, a pretty efficient – I think he uses a sauna maybe, and yeah. I don't know. He has a few different things, and he, and he had – you know him. He's got it down to like – but I think recently he was saying he was moving over to work glue maybe. Mm. Ours is all Dropbox and Google. Slavic so style? It's still, it's still cloud-based. You know, everybody has it on their phones out in the field, but it's not an all-in-one. When you send a proposal, can you tell that they viewed it? And for how long? That nope. Kind of stuff? Nope. That's, I love that about Paint Scout. You know, being able to, like, A, know they received it, and B, like, oh, they actually viewed it for 45 minutes. Like, they, you know, or they downloaded it. Mm -hmm. Or, like, sometimes we've, we've won a couple jobs where you see – two months or three months later, a client that went cold looks at the proposal again. That's pretty sent, sent a message like, Hey, uh, how you doing? Not, I don't know. That you yeah. this, but like, you know, and it helps. It, it, I don't know. I, I love knowing cause I, I mean, I'll mess up an email address one out of 20. Yeah. And, and you're like, they haven't opened it in two days. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. That's I, do you use QuickBooks? Um, yes. I, don't I love the, the invoicing through QuickBooks because it shows when they've opened it or when they viewed it, kind of the same thing. And you'll get a customer that said, oh, I never got that invoice from you. And I'll just screenshot where they opened it four times and send it back to them. <laughs> oh, man. That, I'm, I don't, don't play that game with me. Just tell me you're not going to pay it right now. Don't tell me you didn't get it. Wow. <laughs> is that direct to client or is that like? Direct to client. Okay. Wow, that's a bold move. You're you're a, a, a stronger person than me. Well, we know that. Well, I don't come out in the bat with that one right away. Okay. You know, that's that's like the second or third email. Obfuscations. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first one is is move. playing dumb, like, oh, I just want to make sure you got it and saw it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And then about the third touch, it's just a screenshot. It says here you opened it on March twelfth. Let me know if I, have, I have a big one out right now that the client has not viewed. And I'm like, oh, crap, they missed that in their email. Yeah. That's good to know. I, I'm not going to hold Then you know you can send it again and, and yeah. you know, it's not their fault. Yeah. I, I'm not going to hold some weird resentment about not getting paid when I know they didn't see it. Yeah, exactly. So. Good stuff. I, where, where. What's next? You you just where were we? I threw you off. <laughs> You're uh, you, so you you brought that sub crew. How where'd you find your? Did, did all of the sub crews kind of start from people you knew, or when did you start getting ones that you didn't know? Uh, over the last couple of years, and that typically, uh, will stay in the network of people, and a lot of times they just call us when things get slow in the winter. And we'll interview them and test them out on projects in the winter. And basically, when we need them, they'll come work with us because of our reputation. And uh, it's it's not a problem for us getting getting labor. Yeah. And but the and key is to to build the relationship with them in the winter when they're slow. Yeah. And you make their lives easier than like why would they want to go anywhere else? Exactly. Yeah. Some of the, you know, the bigger franchise companies that we all know operate here and they'll burn through them pretty quick. Um, 
it's a good opportunity to find people. Usually they're good. Or they just yeah. need a little little coaching and you know, they're they're not gonna be thrown on on one of our high end projects day one. You know, they're gonna go paint my house day one. Yeah. They're not painting for the celebrities that you paint for. No, no, that that takes a little while to earn that level of trust. But you got to start them somewhere and figure out what they're good at and where their niche is. And uh, yeah, so we we do actually. The, the, our house has been painted too many times. My in-laws' house has been painted too many times. It's like they're in on the trial system too. You know, that's tremendous. It's and they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> When did you work for your first like rock star? First legit rock stars three years ago. Or country star. Uh, uh, the project manager was a friend of mine from church. More relationships. That's it. I love it. Uh, we had we had no business doing it. <laughs> but we did it and did it well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are those are the fun ones. Yeah. So so how did that come about? Why why did they go with you and not their normal painters? You know. I should ask people that question because I don't know. I can only assume, and I think it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the the show. I, yeah. Uh. But I, I didn't have any track record. Personally, yeah, you, like yeah. anyone who's been around you for any period of time, you're you just because you're so genuine, you're authentic. That's like the word of the freaking decade, right? Go, yeah. Don't go to California, man. You freak them all out with your actual authenticity. <laughs> but yeah, you were like just by being the real deal and just like, yeah, you, yeah, have, you've just oh, have you just always been like self-confident no was that, uh, was that but were you born this way or did you coach yourself up i've i it's been a, a long work in progress uh therapy yeah <laughs> uh, no I, I was i don't know no it, it i say i'm probably a different person over the last 10 years than i was before that 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 makes me happy it's it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> don't change. Too. Don't, don't go changing, Zach. Well, I'm, I'm working hard at it, too. I can't. Therapy is, is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody, I, but everybody needs it. I agree. It, I mean, you go to the gym for your body. It's the gym for your emotions. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think you have a presence to you that I think – the guy from church was like, first of all, you've probably been going to the same church for a while, I guess. Or uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we played in the band together and, you know, we had that relationship. So. And did you ever try to like sell him? Yeah. Mm -mm. He, uh, he was talking about this project and I was like, Oh, that sounds pretty neat. Where, where's that at? Who's it for? And I just left it at that. And then, Six months later, he calls me. It's like, hey, we need you to get some primer out here on this job. It's like, what job? It's like, oh, that, that one down in uh, Columbia. Okay. That was it. That, see, that's something I've had to there was never There was never a talk about price. It's unreal. 
that's that's been that was very that's been very hard for me and still is when especially when you know you're the perfect fit for that project and somebody's you're talking to somebody that's the decider to not to just just like just be a person and talk about anything but the project and about work and to to not be like boy like don't forget for don't forget us we do good painting like yeah. It's I don't know that was not taught to me. I did not know that. I I probably embarrassed myself uh, a million times trying to like push what we do on people because I know we're the real deal and I know that we we are great value and I want to like scream it from the rooftops down everyone's throat. But then you know, with some experience in life, you realize that's not how you convince people to change their minds. It's not how you can like. Yeah. want to do business with you. I almost never, and I should probably do more of it, but I almost never, like say I'm golfing with a, a PM. I'm not going to bring up any of the projects we just bid. Yeah. Just let it slide. You know, if, if, if they feel it's right for us and I've done a good job selling Harpeth painting as a whole, I, I don't know that it's, uh, Maybe there's pros and cons to it, but no, that's just the way I, I, I do think it. Your way is the way. I I think that that's that is it. It's it's having the patience, and just like putting one step in front of the other, being the real deal, and not while you're golfing, just talk about your company and what you can do for them the whole time. Mm -hmm. Right. That is something that I had. I've definitely learned the hard way. And it always feels like you're leaving something on the table. Always like, should have asked for the sale, you know. Yeah, you read any of those sales books? I should have been pushing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that. If anyone's like anyone who made it this deep into this conversation, first of all, congratulations. You're a, a real psycho like us. And <laughs> second of all, I think that's that is absolute gold. You know, as far as in in business in in many ways, you know. It's, there may be different, um, you know, if you're a if you're a residential repaint guy, like uh, you know, you're doing all those thousand dollar, three thousand dollar jobs, and that's your bread and butter. You might need a more polished sales process. You know, hey, sign this proposal before I leave, or the price is going up ten percent. You know, there's some value in in that in that world. I think. I agree. When you get to the the high end residential world, you know, or commercial, it's just it's different. Mm -hmm. Because they're, I mean, they're trusting like you know, we're doing a two hundred fifty thousand dollar interior repaint. That's you're in for the long haul, first of all, and and that person that hired you, the PM, you know, they have a job. They're staking their reputation on hiring you. Yeah, you know there's a lot on the line and it's not going to come from me saying the perfect sentence in the, in the close of a sale, <laughs> you know, it's not going to come from a script. Mm -mm. It's going to come from being the real deal day in and day out for extended period of time. And, you know, it does take a while. I do occasionally like I'll throw in there. Like I was just on that, that one we were bidding for like one four and I'm like, we're obviously the best contractor for doing like we're like, like let's be real here. There's no one else that can do this. Like, yeah. 
you know, I'll joke. That's, that's a funny jab. That's yeah. that's different. Yeah. I'll I'll throw that in there like that. But now I'm like, no, I'm just I'm here to do bit like go about my business. I'm gonna do it like I'm gonna ask the questions, build a relationship, make a proposal that I think fits this situation. Leave the rest up to God. Yeah. Right. I, and I think that leaving the rest up thing. That's not natural. I don't, I don't for anyone. I don't think that's natural. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, it feels like you're leaving something on the table, but it, it's effective. Um, dude, I, I've taken up so much of your time. Um, I wanted to do a reverse one of these <laughs> drill, drill into you some more too. Uh, well, we can keep going. I, I feel like I've talked more <laughs> in one of these than I've talked in a long time. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not the talker, so. I know. Uh, it was good. It was good to catch up. I'm pulling things out, though. It, you, yeah. It's amazing. I can't wait to hang out again. Uh, oh, how was PaintCon? We had to, we postponed it because oh. it was so stressful and people couldn't make it. And so it's like it got put to the back burner and we will have okay. it. I just don't know when. Okay, good. Um, make, make sure you consult with me. So it's a weekend that I'll I can get your calendar first before <laughs> yeah. anybody. Um, but Expo. I yep, we'll see you there. Definitely going to Expo. If anyone here is not going to PCA Expo, you're missing out. I'll, I'll say that. What do you think? You got to be there. Be there. Be square. Like it, and and uh, uh, Slavic master classes. He's going to be here this Friday. Uh, we sold it out. I think there's 20. 20 people going to be here this time. So check those out too. Some fine gentlemen hanging out in Nashville. That's, Hop that's on a plane. Like, oh, man. I'm really excited about Expo, though. I will say. I'm yeah, so that's going to be a good one. I have to go to Cirque this weekend and then all the things. But um, I'll be in Vermont nerding out about paint with the nerdiest of the nerds. Yeah, have fun up there. I can't. It's going to be a good one. Um, but yeah, I, I think PCA Expo was something that Nick Slavic originally convinced me to go to, I think like three years ago, I went to my first one and I, I went purely on the word, trusting the word of Nick. I was like, I'm going to go for it. So anyone who needs any like impetus, like I give you my word that Expo will be worth it. I hope a few people go that who weren't going to go before, um, I'll never miss one from now on. It's not even a question. Yep. It's already booked. I know. Let's go. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, we have three questions that we ask everybody at the end. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this. So the first question, I need a DIY painting tip. From a guy Uh, who's a DIYer. DIY painter, uh, prime with oil. This is so weird. At seven fifty nine, I was me- six fifty nine. I was messaging somebody about how I don't use the water based primer from Fine Paints almost at all, and that I just it's hard to ever want to leave oil. I I love that tip. If in doubt, use oil primer. Yep. All right. Favorite piece of paint paraphernalia it can be a tool, piece of equipment, a software, you name it. Ooh, paint paraphernalia. Something to um... help you do your job. Or that you just love? Oh, I, I like uh, I like my little ventless spray booth. 
Ooh. Open face, ventless. Yeah. I don't. I know of them. I've I, never I, known anyone that owned one. Yeah, it was uh, really difficult to assemble. <laughs> <laughs> they are. That's why they have people who, when you buy them, they're like, we'll install it for X thousands. And you're like, that's yeah. ridiculous. This showed up on a truck from Canada, and I put it together with my dad. <laughs> That's how mine showed up, and I looked at it. I had all. The, I told him, "No way! I'm putting this thing together. I'm a handy. I like putting stuff together." And mine was a full, huge, enclosed thing. Yeah, yeah. But couldn't even imagine. I looked at it, and I had the call instantly. Like, dude, somebody help me put this together. Yeah. So tell me about it a little bit. Uh, it's a it's a small one. It's just like an eight by six, open face. Um. It, I, I got one too small because it doesn't fit like those big giant doors in it. But for the, we're just renting our shop here. It was the perfect solution for that where I didn't have to vent a bunch of stuff through the walls. I can take it with me when I leave. I can upgrade and it wasn't that expensive. You know, it's a, it's a game changer in here for the guys coming in to spray doors or miscellaneous pieces. We painted a bunch of track lights today. Like there's not paint all over everything, you know? So, it, do you know what kind of CFM it has? Uh, no, but I could look it up. Yeah, I'd be interested to know like how much air is it really pulling, and does it use the same filtration, like same exhaust filters that like my spray booth would use? I don't it know. It has it has giant charcoal filters for the VOCs, so it's got the regular you know pre-filter and then the the filter behind that and the plenum is these giant things filled with charcoal. I I have to, when we get off, I'd love to, to find out more information about that. That's it. Yeah. I've, I've seen versions of them and, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll walk you back there. Yeah, that'd be huge. Um, the best one, last but not least. No, I, that's not a thing you say right now. Um, I need a horror story. I need the deepest, darkest thing that maybe Maggie doesn't even know happened that you covered up. Like, because we all make mistakes. I tell her, Nick Slavic painted, got paint on a carpet and covered it up with a chair. I painted the wrong house. What do you got? Oh, man. Um, I should have known this question was coming. Is there something that keeps you up at night? Is there a neighborhood you drive through, a, a thing where you're like, I, that did not go? I'm not thinking of one. Uh, oh, so this one, I'm going to throw Maggie under the bus with this one. Oh, this is perfect. It's what wives are for. She dropped a gallon of paint on a client's aggregate driveway. <laughs> And there was no water anywhere to be found. Oh, my God. So she called me, of course. It's like, what do I do? She had like a, a bottle of water, you know, was trying to rinse it down there. Uh, and she found somebody or one of the – it was like in a condo association. Uh, so there was, there was one neighbor that came out or something and had a hose and hooked it up to their mop sink inside, and they got it, they got it run down the drain. And, and it all dry. cleaned up? Yep. Wow. Was it not like peak sun or something? Uh, no, I think it was pretty cold out. I think it was, it was like last fall. Okay. Um, I'm picturing the middle of Oh, and another, another good one I had, um, 
I had a load of orange paint in the back of my truck and a lady ran a stop sign. I hit her in my F-250. She was in like a little Honda Civic. Nothing happened to my truck. Totaled her car. So I was like, okay, it's fine. You know, I'll drive home. Thunderstorm came that night. And my dad, I was at my dad's house and he looked out. He's like, there's orange paint running out from your truck. A bunch of those cans had opened up in the wreck. So I'm out there in a thunderstorm finding these gallons of paint out of the back of my truck, hosing down orange paint out in the road in front of my parents' house, just looking like a madman. This is what we're looking for. Yeah. I had to think of it for a little bit. That is gold. That is absolute gold. Oh, my God. But, again, both of those ended up good where the the paint washed off, the thunderstorm helped run everything down into the storm drains. Don't tell – EPA and, and your your <laughs> truck didn't have any staining or anything. It's under the bed liner now. You had to cover it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say if there's no mark after yeah. that, that's like all the, the exterior of it, you can't tell anything happened. Yeah, yeah, that's tremendous. Yeah, Matt, and knock on wood. I hope there's nothing worse than that that ever happens. No, because you're perfect. I'm perfect. We don't make mistakes. Yeah, that's it. That's why everyone's listening. Yep. <laughs> that was good. Hey, man, thank you so much. This has been no amazing. No problem. It was awesome. Can't wait to meet you again. Made my night. Me too, buddy. It was great to All see right. you, and we'll talk soon. See you. I got you. That was amazing. Uh, anyone who doesn't know Matt, for those who know Matt, everybody knows that guy is as solid as they come. Just the a great human being and i i was really honored to get to meet him and spend time with them and and thanks again nick slavic i think i have oh i've been using his notebook right here for putting that event on and bringing people together um pca expo that's the next time where people can all get together and it's it's paint paint contractor heaven it's it's an amazing experience. Um, I'm not like I don't get anything out of it by saying how great it is. I'm just saying that I wish I had gone earlier. So for any of you guys that are listening, um, hopefully I see you at the paint at PCA Expo. Uh, I think it's it's in Orlando. I think it's in March, the first or second weekend of March, something like that. I don't know. We have it booked already. Um, again, everybody, thanks for watching. Don't forget, I do a close friend, the close friends feature on Instagram. I'm utilizing it heavily now. It's a completely behind the scenes. If you are a client, you are not allowed. If you are anybody but a paint contractor, um, it's for paint contractors only. It's through Patreon. If you sign up, there's a, a link in my bio or on Patreon, ZK Painting. Uh, you can sign up. I will add you to my close friends and you will get a very unedited uh, behind the scenes of what's happening in ZK Painting as I navigate the roller coaster that is running a business. Uh, it's the extreme highs and the extreme lows. Those are the things that are really not well suited for uh, public consumption. Uh, but we all know they're happening. I just document them in, a, in an unedited way because I know every all the people who are viewing it, I could get to control. Uh, so if you want to learn something, be entertained, um, check out Patreon. Uh, you can also check out the Patreon for the Q&A that I do every Sunday night. The Q&A goes up Sunday night. You have all week to put all the questions you ever want in there. 
And then I go live Sunday night at 9.30 and I answer all of them and riff on whatever I'm thinking of uh, at the moment, which last Sunday I was in my new, we have a, got an apartment in Boston, didn't have internet yet. I'm in the public spaces doing a live show in the corner like a psycho. Um, midway through watching the F1 race. I don't know if anybody, I because of Drive to Survive, like a number of other Americans, I would imagine, I am now the biggest F1 fan and uh, Lando Norris and Max Verstappen are my guys. Um, again, next week is episode 100. We have the great painter from Minneapolis, Jason the Painter. Um, again, a guy I met at Nick Slavic's retreat. And got to know, if you guys don't follow him on Instagram, you're missing out. He's a really interesting follow. I think it's Jason the Painter MLPS is his Instagram handle. Um, he will be on next Tuesday. Uh, I will continue to post on Close Friends. And we will be live Sunday night at the Q&A. And until then, uh, keep crushing everybody. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.